good morning. Welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's great to see you today, and I hope that your weekend is well and that you're ready for today. Anybody? No? Uh, oh, a little lively. All right. Last service, they were kind of comatose, so I kind of like... That happens, you know, in this, and especially in the summertime when daylight savings kicks in and uh, people will work in the yard all day on Saturday. I'll go play golf. They'll be outside or whatever, and then they'll get here for the 430 service, and then all of a sudden it's kind of quiet. And lights are kind of dim. And it's kind of talking to monotone voice, and then one thing leads to another, and all of a sudden somebody's... <laughs> and I really, what's funny is I can see people when I'm doing this, and so occasionally I'll call people's names out. And they wake up, and that's really a lot of fun. We used to do that in Bible college. Somebody would sleep in chapel, and we would say, Hey, man, the president, wake up, wake up. They want you to, they want you to stand and pray. Stand and pray, stand and pray. Right in the middle of somebody speaking. They'd stand up and, Dear God, we just ask you to. And then, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Anyhow, so I'm glad that you're awake today. Uh, man, we had a great, 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 great week last week. And uh, great weekend service here at, at Life Church. Easter services had thousands of people here, and God just did some great things and really honored. And probably the greatest thing that happened last weekend where there were 84 decisions for Christ. Isn't that awesome? 84 decisions for Christ. So people are coming to faith in Christ in, in, in Life Church youth. It's happening in weekend services. And uh, it's just really incredible. And it really ties into what we're talking about in this new series, Struggles. And, um, and so I hope that you will, as you join us today, will continue to join us throughout the course of this month as we continue this series. And because um, here's what happens. Uh, what happens is, is that you... you uh, you know, someone comes to faith in Christ last weekend. So before that time, you know, they're, they're, they're lost in their sins, right? They, they may or may not even know who Jesus is or really have a full understanding. And then they get invited. That's how it happens at Life Church. You invest in someone relationally and then you invite them. And they get invited and they come to a Life Church service. And all of a sudden, what happens is the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, unless the Holy Spirit draws, nobody comes to repentance or salvation. And so the Holy Spirit is drawing. And they are, they are feeling that drawing of the Holy Spirit. They're feeling convicted for their sins and their own depravity. But they hear there's an answer. And his name is Jesus. And they hear, you know, for God so loved them that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, so that they don't have to live that way. And all they have to simply do, according to Romans 10, 9, and 10, is believe in their heart and confess with their mouth, and they are saved. And so they cross that line into faith. And then... It's a wonderful feeling. Do you remember the feeling that you felt just how it was when you gave your life to Christ? How clean it felt. How new you felt. How re-energized you felt. It just was, because what happens in that moment is you connect, uh, your spirit connects and is regenerated. It's, it's, it's renewed. It's changed in essence. Uh, uh, you as a creation to the creator. And all of a sudden there's this life and this fulfillment that you sense and that you see and that you experience and it's just like the lights turn on and then you wake up on Monday morning and you're still the same person so you know you're you're you you didn't lose 20 pounds overnight you you still have bills to pay you still got to go to work right the, the the dogs you still have to take the dog for a walk you you know the kids aren't perfect uh the the, the car will break down the you know something's going to go wrong at the office I mean it's it's life and then you begin to think, if you're not careful, what, what's going on? What, what's happening? I thought I gave my life to Christ, and I thought I gave myself to Him, and, and now all of a sudden I'm in this situation where, quite frankly, um, I, 
I, I, I got problems. And maybe, and I think there's a lot of people that think that, well, when you come to Jesus, you don't have problems. And, and I think there's a lot of people that think that, man, if I follow God long enough, I won't have problems. It's really laughable to me when people go to me and say, hey, man, you don't really deal with these issues, do you? <laughs> yeah, I deal with all kinds of crazy issues. I'm as jacked up as anybody in this room. That really should make you feel comfortable. Some people are going, oh, dear God, I thought at least you had an answer that I didn't have. So what are we doing here? I'm just one beggar to another beggar where to find food. I'm just a messenger. So what we deal with is struggle. We began to struggle. This is the reason why within six months of someone coming to faith in Jesus Christ, if they don't figure this piece out that I'm going to talk about the next several weeks, what happens is, is they kind of drift away from church and drift away from relationship with Christ because they think that all of a sudden it's just going to fall into place. And they think that all of a sudden, you know, I've given my life to Christ and everything's going to get perfect. And all of a sudden, it's going to, everything's going to come up roses. And when it doesn't, then people think it's just them. And so then Jesus doesn't work for me. And Jesus doesn't really work for me. And it seems to work for everybody else, but it doesn't work for me. So I need to try something else. Well, I got news for you. We are all fellow journeyers sojourners, if you would, on this journey called struggle. And we're going to talk about that. And we're going to deal with that because we're going to deal with, you know, how is this, does this change? How do I deal with this reality? Does it change as I mature as a Christ follower? You know, what happens? That's what this series is all about. We're going to be looking at Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 7, and Romans chapter 8. And we're going to look at this. The, the, The book of Romans is an incredible book. And it really talks about the spiritual transformation that happens in our life. That theologians would call that sanctification, to be set apart from, to be made holy. It's instantaneous at salvation, but it's also a progressive work. It's also a journey. And that's where the struggle comes into play. And so we're going we're to look at that. And, and verses in chapter 6, 7, and 8 of Romans really is kind of the, the nexus of this. It's really kind of the... the, the the, the core of what Paul is talking about to the church in Rome. And so if you're one of those people that, man, you like Bible study, and you like going deep, and you want to you exegete Scripture, and you want to really you read some commentaries and stuff, then I just encourage you, Romans 6, 7, and 8 is where we're going to be this next month. For those of you that are like the idea of doing that and subjugating verbs from, from the Greek back into English and, and, para, and diagramming senses, which is all the stuff that I have to do for a sermon preparation, uh, the good news is I'm not going to do that because, uh, again, I think that I'm not trying to teach you in this series. Uh, I'm not trying to take every word and every phrase and break it down and what does it mean and blah, 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 because I don't think information changes people. I think what changes people is the Holy Spirit taking something where it connects, where you understand what you're getting to a point that it makes a life change inside of you, where it, it, it catalyzes something in you, it, it kickstarts something in you. So what I want to do is, over these chapters, I want to take and go, here's what Paul is saying, translate that to what it means today. And, and here's what the concept is from this construct of Scripture, and here's what he's saying and what he's going on and what's going on. And so... Let's begin today in Romans chapter 7. This is kind of the, the, this is Romans chapter 7, verse 14. If you have your Bibles, you can open there. If you don't have a Bible, it's going to be on the screen for you. But I'm sure all you good Christ followers have your Bibles. Amen? Amen. All right, Romans chapter 7, verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. Amen. Sold as a slave to sin. We'll come back to that phrase, sold as a slave to sin. Verse 15, I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate to do, I do. Anybody thoroughly confused? Just hang on, it's going to get worse. Verse 16, and if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. 
As it is, I no longer, I myself who do it, but it's sin living in me. Isn't that what your teenagers just told you? I didn't do it. It was just something inside of me. I don't know what happened. <laughs> Verse 18, for I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is my sinful nature. For I have a desire to do what's good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil that I do not want to do. I keep on doing this. Whatever. Okay, verse 20. For if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin living in me that does it. Is anybody like, I, 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 I like, that's just like a term out of yo-yo. What, what does he mean there? And here's what happens. We read passages like this. And chapter 6, 7, 8 are just filled full of this. And we read it and we go, this is thoroughly confusing. Trust me, I've been trying to figure out how do I take this and explain it in a way that is simple. And uh, it's hard because I understand what he's saying, but he's not exactly, he, he's very redundant and very confusing at the same time. And here's what I want you to understand. It's intentional. He's intentionally trying to to, to, to come up, and what he wants to do with this is he's trying to introduce this ideology of what's called tension. He, what he's saying to you is, is that this life that we are living is based spiritually, physically, it's based on tension. It's confusing. Like in this room, there's dynamic tension that's holding these rafters and these beams together. The supporting walls and columns and everything that goes in, there's tension in every relationship, there's tension. There's a back and forth. And in every marriage, there's tension. In every parental relationship, there's tension. In every exchange, every business transaction, there's tension. In leadership, there's tension. In church, there's tension. And I used to think that, man, I, what, what I wanted to was to eradicate tension. I wanted to get rid of tension. I don't like tension. I don't know anybody that really likes tension. But what happens is, is that you begin to realize that it's not really something to eradicate, but rather something to be managed. Because here's what tension is. Tension is, if you go to the, def to the, to the, to the dictionary's definition, it's to stretch. E-T-C-H, right? Is that correct? It looks wrong. I was educated in Arkansas. Sorry about that. <laughs> or strain. So tension is to stretch something or to strain something. To stretch something like a mat on a, on, a, uh, on a trampoline frame. If you don't have the tension, it doesn't work. It's worthless. But it's the tension that makes it work. To strain, I'm having to reach. I'm giving everything that I've got to get to something. It's, it's the stretching. It's the straining. That's what Paul's talking about here in Romans chapter 7. The things I don't want to do, I do. The things I do want to do, I don't do. I don't understand why I don't do these things. I know it's an unspiritual un side of me, but yet then again, I thought I was saved. But yet I can't seem to get this, and I don't really know what's going on. A wretched man that I am. I mean, he just goes into this like, and you're thinking, if Paul can't get this, how are we supposed to get this? If the writer of the New Testament can't get this, how am I supposed to be able to get this? And, and what happens is, is that a lot of times what's happening in all of this is there's this struggle of stretching and straining that you thought when you gave your life to Christ is going to be over. You thought on Monday morning, all of a sudden, man, all of a sudden you're going to wake up Monday morning and you're going to have a body like, like um, I don't know, like, like, like uh, The Rock or something. I mean, like all of a sudden you're, you're going to have a face like Brad Pitt. All of a sudden you're, you're, going to have, you're going to have bazillion dollars in the bank and everything's going to be great and everything's going to come up roses. And what you have found is there's still tension. You still don't have a better relationship with your boss. You, you, you still have tension in your marriage. You still have tension with your kids. You still have tension in your finances. You still have all these tensions. And, and, and all of a sudden you go, well, then what's the use and how do I deal with this? And the dirty little secret in church 
is, is that we all act like we don't deal with tension. Oh, we yell at, we kick the dog on the way out to church this morning. We yell at the kids in the minivan, and when we pull into the parking lot, we shut the door and we go, God bless you. How are you doing today, brother? Shut up, kids. Hi, how are you? Tension. So I want to talk about this because this is what he's talking about. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13 talks about this tension. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. There's a tension. Work out your salvation. There's a tension that's here. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So let me give you two definitions today that I think are going to be important today and in this series. The first is what we would call the flesh. The flesh is the physical aspect of humanity. It's the body and the mind. It's your old nature. So when we talk about the flesh, when the Bible talks about the flesh, it's talking about the, the, the physical aspect of your, of your humanity. So it's your body, right? And it is also your mind. And some of you go, well, my mind, though, it produces thoughts, and that's non-physical. That's a non-concrete object. Yes, but those thoughts are coming out of your brain, which is an organ in your body. And if your brain is gone, you no longer have thoughts. Therefore, that is a physical aspect of who you are. The second part, the Bible says of us, and this is the second definition I want to give you, is spirit. Spirit is the immaterial the non-concrete aspect of humanity. It's the soul of a person. It is eternal. So it's, it's the part of you that will live forever. And everybody's spirit lives forever. We're designed this way. You go, well, I thought we only live forever if we give our life to Jesus. No, you, either, you, you get to live forever. That's how you're designed. That's how you're hardwired. Your spirit does. But the reality is, is you get to choose whether you go to heaven or where you go to hell. It's your choice. Not really much of a choice, but I mean, but it is your choice. So, 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 so what's happening here is, is this spirit is the part of me that will live forever. That's how we're designed. Now, I know that I'm kind of dichotomizing life and the human existence between two parts. There's some that would say it's three parts, that the body and the mind are two separate parts, and the spirit, I can, I can understand that. That's what they would call a trichotomy. But for the sake of our conversation, when Paul talks about the flesh, he's combining both flesh and and, excuse me, both body and mind together into one because they're both stemming from a physical organ or organism in the body. So I, I want to explain this, what happens. I want to go back to this guy who gives his life. So we're going to call him Fred last weekend. He comes to Life Church. He doesn't know Jesus. He comes in, and we got Fred here. And if your name is Fred and you gave your life to Christ, it's merely coincidental, unless it's not. So, okay, so then Fred right here is... He's a little guy right here. He's got a big smile on his face. He's got some big eyes. He's got a cool little hairdo going on right there. Let's give him a little Joey Ketchum, little little chin thing right there. Hey, man. All right. So life is good for Fred. And Fred came last week. And, and I want to talk about Fred's, like his spiritual growth line, okay, if you would. So the first thing that we see with Fred is that we had this thing called, uh, with Fred, we had this thing called, uh, B.C., this is his spiritual lifeline, right? So B.C., which would stand before Christ. That's what that stands for. So, so Fred comes in last weekend to Life Church, and Fred is, he knows something's wrong. He knows that there's a tension that exists in the world. He knows he's got this unfillable void in his life that money can't satisfy, that alcohol can't quench, that, that sex uh, uh, outside of marriage can, can, cannot fulfill him. And, and he, just, he just knows, that, but, there, but he doesn't really understand completely what it is. 
and he's kind of maybe Heisman God a little bit and pushed back, and maybe he's living his life and whatever. But last weekend, Fred comes in, and he's in this before Christ, the week before Easter. He's in this B.C. condition, if you would. And, and so he, he knows that something's not right, but doesn't quite know exactly what it is that needs to happen. And so that's how he comes in. And so he comes in, and he comes into a weekend service where he's been invited by somebody to come to Life Church. And in doing so, what's happened is, is he experiences Jesus. We talked about this a few minutes ago. He experiences the John 3.16, the unconditional love of God. So he raises his hand. He prays a sinner's prayer. He gives his life to Christ. And in a spiritual sense, what's happening is he's dealing with conversion. He is basically conversion. He is giving his life to Christ. Salvation experience happens. And how, why is that happening? It's happening because here's what, here's what Fred understands. Fred has been introduced to an idea that he is a sinner and the issue is sin. This is what he's dealing with. And that sin, because of sin in his life, he can't go to heaven he can't have a right relationship as with, with the Creator God that he wants to. And he feels this feeling of the he feels the Holy Spirit. He, he senses the goodness that's around, the peace that passes understanding, the joy that can be his. And so he realizes that he has this, this sin issue that's going on. And the sin issue basically stems from what we would call the flesh, which is his body and his mind, that he's very well aware of, because that's what he's been satisfying all of these years. Right? That's why when he goes to Summerfest and he gets drunk, that's what he's satisfying. That's why when he looks at a, a girl that he thinks is, 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 is all that, that he tries to sleep with her as, as many times as much as he possibly can. That's why he'll, he'll, he'll cut corners and he'll do whatever he has to do in order to, order to spin the wheels and make the deals. He wants to look as good as he can. That's why he's got a membership at the gym because and, and he, he's trying to keep up with the Joneses. He's trying to keep up with appearances. He, he's overextending himself financially, but he wants things to look good and everything to be good and because he's... He's satisfying this because, quite frankly, that's all he knows. He's born into this flesh. This flesh, he looks, he sees himself in the mirror. He, 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 he's dealing with this, the impulses, the urges. And so it's, this is just natural. And the world says, hey, it's just natural to have multiple partners. And monogamy isn't natural. And, and it's just natural to want to have a good beer every once in a while. You should always have a beer with a fish fry. And, and so that's just what I do. But one beer leads to another beer, leads to another beer, and he's drunk. And, 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 and this is just what people do. And pornography is just part of it. It's just a healthy part of life and existence. It's free on the Internet. So why can't we just go and do that? And and, and, and I mean, and, and, and honestly, everybody cheats their taxes and everybody cheats their employers and everybody's trying to scam the system in essence because that's just what you do. And, and you just swipe your way to happiness on credit cards. So you, so you go buy the cool shirts and you go buy the cool jeans and you go buy the cool shoes and, and you spend the money that you need to spend because guess what? This is what you're serving. But all of a sudden last weekend, what's happened with him is that he's been introduced to this whole ideology and this whole thing that he's not just flesh, but he's also Spirit. And this is a really, really, really real part of him that he's never stopped to think about. And by the drawing of the Holy Spirit and the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news being presented, he realizes that he's a sinner in need of a Savior. And he's been living his life to the flesh, but there's more to him than, than body and mind. There's a spirit that will last forever. And so what happens is he decides he's going to give his life to Christ. What happens is he decides that, you know what, I'm going to leave this flesh. I'm going to leave this life before Christ. This is what I need to do. I need to have Jesus to come into my heart and into my life. And he makes a decision at that point to do that. 
So then what happens with Fred is that Fred goes and he goes from being converted to what we call AD, after death. Again, this is spiritually speaking. This isn't a physical sense. This is a spiritual reality. After death, that he's now dead to himself and he's alive in his spirit. His spirit man's kind of been turned on and he gets this. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, whether for a week or for, or for 20 years, this is where you live. And so all of a sudden Fred realizes this is this, this is the life. The problem is, is that when we get to here, what we think is, is that the struggle with this is going to be over. We think that here, there's going to be our issue here, is that we're not going to have any more struggle. We think that going to this will be a struggle-free zone. It's not. It never will be. Let me show you why. This is where we miss it. Because what happens is, is when we give our life to Christ and we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, 1 John says, and we crucify the flesh, but God doesn't save our flesh, he regenerates or he saves our spirit. The problem is, is that our spirit is saved. Our spirit is regenerated. That's what theologians would call that. At that point of salvation where I confess my sins and the grace of God covers my sins as though they never happened. But I am never, never, ever, ever going to get rid of this flesh until I die. My flesh is not regenerated. My mind can be renewed according to Romans. We'll talk about that in the upcoming weeks. But that's a process. But the reality is, is my mind, because it's still connected to my body and my flesh, will always have these base desires. It will always have this sin direction because it's fallen. I love what James Dobson says, focus on the family. The day that a man thinks he is unable to have an affair, to sin morally, to fail in his marriage, is the day he's the most susceptible to exactly doing that. See, the reality is, is that a 44-year-old man that I am, I am still as susceptible to, fall, to falling morally as I was at 25 or at 16. And I will still be that susceptible at 55 and at 65 because I am encased. My spirit is, is embodied in this flesh. That's the reason why that when we, the, Paul says that when we die physically and we have a funeral, that we mourn people that die as Christians, differently than those that don't, that are not Christians, because we have a hope. Because what we realize is, is that the Spirit is what lives forever, not the flesh. And that this flesh is really holding us back from being all that God wants us to be. This flesh is really some kind of a struggle that we have to deal with. This flesh is what's creating this tension in our lives, this stretching and straining. Because what, that's what Paul says. Go back to chapter 7, verse 14 through 20. The things that I don't want to do, my flesh, are the things that I do. The things that I do want to do, my spirit, are the things that I don't do. And I have this war with inside of me. I am like a slave that's sold into this. So what happens is we think, well, all of a sudden, man, I'm giving my life to Christ, so I'm no longer going to have to struggle or have any of this tension. But the reality is my flesh, until I die physically, my flesh is still very much always going to go to the base, sinful, impulsive side. It's always going to want to have the drug. It's always going to want to have the, ha- have the fix. It's always going to want to have the relationship. It's always going to want to have whatever the illicit, sinful activity is. It's always going to be a drawing to that. 
you like to gossip, it's always going to be a pull that way. If you're, if you're drawn to anger, it's always going to be that way. If you're drawn to laziness and slothfulness, it's always going to be that way. If you're drawn to, to sexual deviancy, it's always going to be that way. If you're drawn to, to greed and, 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 and poor financial integrity, it's always going to be drawn that way. That's the tension. So the question is, how do I deal with this? How do I deal with this struggle? How do I deal with this tension? How does Fred keep that smile on his face? That's what we're going to talk about in this series. I want to go back to verse number, uh, verse number 14 where Paul says, And we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, for I am sold as a slave to sin. This is a great way to, 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 to kind of teach this point and to understand this. Something that we in this country would know a little bit about. September 22nd, 1862, President Abraham Lincoln issued what was called the Emancipation Proclamation. And it freed every single slave in the entire United States. Booker T. Washington was nine years of age in a southwest Virginia plantation. He writes in his autobiography, Up from Slavery, and he talks about the day that the news came to their plantation. The most distinct thing, he says, that I recall now in connection with the scene was that some man who seemed to be a stranger, a United States officer, I presume, made a little speech and then read a rather long paper, the Emancipation Proclamation. After reading, we were told that we were all free and we could go wherever we pleased. My mother, who was standing by my side, leaned over and kissed her children. While tears of joy ran down her cheeks, she explained to us what all this meant. This was a day that she had been long praying for, but fearing that she would never live to see. After final surrender of the Confederacy, the assassination of President Lincoln, the United States ratified the 13th Amendment, which officially abolished slavery on December 18, 1865. The news swept across Capitol Hill, down to the Shenandoah, over the Appalachians, back along the back roads of the Carolinas, deep into the plantations of Georgia and Alabama and Mississippi and Louisiana, into the cotton fields of Texas and Arkansas. The word was out that slaves were free, at least officially. The practicality of freedom was another matter. Washington says, The wild rejoicing on the part of the emancipated colored people lasted but for a brief period. For I noticed that by the time they returned to their cabins, there was a change in feeling. Their great responsibility of being free, of having charge of themselves, of having to think and plan for themselves, their children seemed to take possession of them. It was much suddenly like turning a youth of 10 or 12 years of age out into the world to provide for himself. In a few hours, the great questions which the Anglo-Saxon race had been grappling with for centuries were thrown upon these people to be solved in a moment. These were the questions of a home, of a living, rearing of children, education, citizenship, establishment of, uh, and, and support of churches. Was it any wonder that within a few hours of wild rejoicing came a feeling of deep gloom that seemed to pervade the slave quarters? To some, it seemed now that they were in actual possession of it. But freedom was a more serious thing than they expected to find. Some of the slaves were 70 and 80 years of age, and their best days were gone, and they had no strength with which to earn a living in a strange place among strange people. And even if they had been sure to find a new place of abode, to this class, the problem seemed especially hard. Because deep down in their hearts, there was a strange and peculiar attachment to the old master, to their children. They found it hard to think of breaking it off. With these, they had spent some in some cases, nearly a half a century, with no, this was no light thing to think of parting. 
Gradually, one by one, stealthily at first, the older slaves began to wander from the slave quarters back to the big house to have a whispered conversation with their former owners as to their future. After brief celebration, many former slaves returned to their fields to continue in servitude as sharecroppers. Though officially free to go anywhere, little changed for them in a practical sense. Legal emancipation merely presented slaves with the opportunity to live as free men and women. Turning their legal status into an actual experience would require an internal transformation. Those who found this challenge too daunting chose the uncomfortable familiarity of slavery instead. How foolish this appears from the perspective of people who have never known slavery. Yet Christians, I would say the majority of them, choose slavery over freedom every day of their life. Having been set free, for us to live as free men and women neither comes easy or natural. So why? Why would we choose as a people, Life Church? Why would you choose? Why would I choose slavery? What Paul says in verse 14, as a slave to sin, why would I choose the comfortability and the predictability of that over the freedom to live my life to the full that Jesus says that he came to give us? through my spirit being regenerated through Christ. Why would we do that? We're going to look at that next week. Let's pray.